0: Glad to have you all here this morning. We're going to dive right in. We're continuing in our uh, series in the book of Romans. I just wanted to start with a little encouragement to all you parents out there. And the encouragement is this. Read your Bible in front of your kids. You don't have to do it all the time, but definitely sometimes. They need to see you reading God's word and loads of conversations arise out of that. I was reading my Bible last Sunday night, and Micah, my oldest, asked me why I was highlighting passages in my Bible. Dad, why, why are you doing that? I told him I was wanting to remember important or significant passages. Then I talked to him about one of the passages I had just highlighted. I had him close his eyes and picture what I was reading. And that's what I want you to do now. So close your eyes and picture this as I read out of Revelation chapter 7. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands ever. Amen. You can open your eyes. After reading that, I asked Micah what he thought. And I would ask you the same question to ponder as we dive in today. What did that passage make you think of? What feelings did that draw out? Were you excited? Eager? Or maybe you were nervous? Scared? I hope not. Maybe you didn't buy into that picture at all. Your reaction tells a little bit about how you hope or don't hope for heaven. I sincerely desire that you all are looking forward to the future glory that awaits every child of God. In our passage this morning, Paul not only desires that for believers, but expects it. The hope of heaven in mind, listen to how Paul talks about the future in our passage. Open up with me to Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight, and we're going to start in verse eighteen. Are we not rolling here Romans chapter eight we're starting in verse eighteen, and we're going to go down through thirty. So again, look for hope. That is woven throughout this whole passage. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption." As sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. God, this morning, uh, as we dive into your word we, we want to look for hope. Sometimes that's all we get to hang on to is, is hope. But Lord, as we look at this passage, I, I want us to see just how strong and how sure of a thing that is to hold on to. Um, Lord, as we dive into your word, I just pray that uh, you would remove distractions that you would um, help us just to hear what you have to say to us this morning. And, uh, yeah, just, just be with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this passage points out a few different things about hope, which we're going to look at today. Namely, that hoping is hard, but hoping is worth it. As we go, I'm going to be talking about hoping for different things because we all have different things that we're hoping for. However, I want to be clear that I'm using those as examples and illustrations as the passage clearly points to what we should be hoping for. Verse 18 says, The glory that is to be revealed to us. Heaven. Eternity with Jesus. Keep that in mind as we're talking about hope. Hoping for glory is hard, but hoping for glory is worth it. So let's dive in. Hoping is hard. If you've got your handout with you, I've got some little blanks for you to fill in, and here's the first one for you. Hoping requires patient endurance. In verse 25, it says, But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And that word translated patience in verse 25. I'm not going to attempt the Greek because it is all Greek to me. But it's used 32 times in the New Testament. Take a look at this chart up here. It's translated as patience, patient, or patiently about a third of the time. It's translated endurance about a third of the time. And it's translated steadfastness about a third of the time. And I point this out to say that this word is not passive. It's not like sitting in a waiting room. But rather, it's an active type of patience. The two books that it's used the most in the New Testament are Romans and Revelation. I'm going to rattle through some passages in Romans and in Revelation that use this word. And I want you to hear how it's used in the context of these verses that it's used. Romans 5, 3-4, through 4, which we've already talked about. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. There's that word. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Romans 15.4 says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Revelation 2, 2-3, to um, Jesus' letter to the church at Ephesus. He says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles, and are not, and found them to be false. I know that you are, here's that word again, enduring patiently, and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Revelation 2.19, to the church at Theotira, Jesus says, I know your works, your love, and faith, and service, and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceeded the first. To the letter in Philadelphia, uh, to the church at Philadelphia, Revelation 3.10. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. Revelation 13.10. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Revelation 14.12, here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Revelation, which points us towards our future hope, brings up this topic of patient endurance a lot. And hopefully you can see this is not something that you just sit and wait. This requires work. This requires effort. Now, part of that effort is waiting, because it's hard to be patient. It is. Patience requires you to wait. Waiting for my eye appointment, it's amazing how frustrating my glasses were between the time when I made my appointment and the time when I had my appointment. Now that I knew it was coming, I knew that something was happening, "Ah, I can't stand these things, get them off my face. Uh, On the front of your bulletin, we have a picture of an expectant mother. And anyone who has waited for a child knows the challenge that it is to wait. And this can be applied to anything. Waiting for the end of school. Waiting for the results of your medical exam. Waiting for a call back after your interview. Waiting to finally meet Mr. or Mrs. Wright. Waiting for that plane to land with your best friend on it. Waiting for lunch. The list goes on and on. Sometimes it can feel like all that you're doing is waiting. But the difficulty of waiting is directly related to how long you have to wait and directly related to how much you desire what you're waiting for. So we're talking about waiting, patience, but there's a direct relation between how difficult it is to wait, not only with the time, but also the anticipation, okay? So if you're not really anticipating something and you have a short wait, it's easy, right? It's easy to wait. But even if you're not anticipating something that much and you have to wait for a long time, especially if you're impatient like me, it's so-so, it starts to get a little bit more difficult to wait. But if there's high anticipation, even if there's a short wait, it is hard. It is really hard to wait. And when you have high anticipation and a long wait, boy, then it's super hard, right? It's super hard to wait. I'll let you fill in different examples as you're just thinking about life and and different things. But when we think about this topic of patient endurance, putting those two words together, which, as you noticed, as we went through different examples Those two words were used together to not only give emphasis to the waiting part, the patience, but also the endurance that's associated with it. When we think about patient endurance, we're usually thinking about the bottom row, and usually about the rightmost cell. As you read through Scripture, you see patience required all over the place. The Israelites had to wait for their Messiah, from when God first spoke about a Messiah right after the fall and continued to promise and many times and in many ways they were sitting there waiting. When? When is he going to come? When is he going to come? Is the Messiah coming? The time from that first promise to his arrival spanned thousands of years. And they had to sit and wait and wait. So what makes patience harder is what's happening while you wait. And this is the call for endurance. Look again at verse 18. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. And then jump down to 22 and 23. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first First fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Though you may have something beautiful coming, you've got to get through the now. And it's difficult, and this is pointed out in this passage. But just think about an expectant mother dealing with pains, with cravings, with difficulty sleeping, with labor. Think about Israel again. In Egypt. Uh, now would be a real good time for the Messiah to come. Lord, please. In the wilderness. Lord, now would be a good time for the Messiah to come. When they're losing battles in the promised land. When the kingdom split. When they were in exile. If you'd like, you can uh, flip over to Lamentations 3. I was just reading this a couple weeks ago in my quiet time and just heard patient endurance. Lamentations 3, I'm going to start in verse 7. Listen to the exhaustion. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, He shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and sent me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughing stock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. The nation of Israel was exhausted. They're tired of patiently enduring. Now, we're going to come back to this passage. There's there's some good, and if you want to read ahead, that's okay. Um, But Paul also gives an encouragement to the Corinthians, who are also tired of patiently enduring. Uh, You can flip over to 2 Corinthians 4 or just listen. But we'll be returning to both this passage and the passage in Lamentations 3, so if you want to Hold a couple fingers and stuff like that, you're more than welcome. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Yes, there's hope in this passage. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But I want you to notice, it's mentioned, outer self wasting away. And he says, there's light and momentary affliction. And I want to point this out. Because affliction, though in perspective, is light and momentary may not seem that way at the time. And so Paul encourages them, in the midst of their patient endurance, to shift their focus to the things that are unseen. But as we are in the midst of this endurance, we're going to talk a little bit more about what that looks like. But I just want to say that I'm not here to trivialize the pain, and the suffering that we're going through. Because it's real and it's difficult. But we're going to see that we have a spirit that's with us. What will drive that patient endurance? Trust. Trust will drive that patient endurance verse 18 of our passage, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. How does Paul know this? How does he know that the sufferings aren't worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed? Trust. What do we have to go on about the future life but the words of God? Paul hadn't been there. He hadn't talked with anyone who had been there. So we have to go on trust. Creation is eagerly waiting, and we, verse 23, are also waiting eagerly because we trust that something good is coming. And so where your trust lies makes all the difference. This is a picture of my son, Gabriel. He's a year and a half old at the time. And I want you to see that he's smiling. He's smiling. Why? Because he trusts his father. If he didn't trust me, his face would look completely different. <laughs> Wouldn't it? And the beautiful thing is that God is trustworthy and his people know it. So back to Lamentations chapter 3. And remember, the nation of Israel had run out of hope. Jeremiah is writing and he's speaking for the nation of Israel and their anguish. I say my endurance has perished, so is my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down with me. And then verse 21 of Lamentations 3, this beautiful word, But, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. What gives him hope? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. You see that the nation of Israel, in the midst of their patient endurance, trust God. And that's what gives them hope. We see this also in the passage in 2 Corinthians. It says this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent... For we know, by the way... Know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on heavenly dwelling. So there's hope in this passage as well. Because they trust in their Savior. Psalm 42.11 says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope In God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. See, God comes through on his promises time and time and time again. God is trustworthy. And because God is trustworthy, doesn't it make it easier to hope? We don't have to wonder if we're hoping for nothing. Boy, I'm I'm hoping for this thing I've heard about called heaven, but I have no idea whether it's going to happen or not. No. We trust. Last week, uh, Dave tossed out um, this phrase. He said, assurance leaks. That's why there's reassurance. Right? Right? Assurance leaks. That's why there's reassurance. Gabriel and I had a a cool conversation about this picture over this last week because I asked him, hey, is it okay if I use this? Oh, yeah, Dad, absolutely. Gabriel, you you still get scared when I throw you up in the air, huh? Sometimes, right? Yeah, he does. He's not a big fan of heights. He'd better get used to it because he's going to be tall like his dad. (laughs) But when I do throw him up in the air, I take time to remind him first that I'm going to catch him. Gabriel, look me in the eyes. Don't be scared. Dad's going to catch you. Dad always catches you. I'm going to take care of him. And so I give him reassurance. We see reassurance throughout the whole Bible. What does God say to Joshua time after time after time when Joshua takes over from Moses? Joshua, I am with you. I am with you, Joshua. I've got you. The whole Bible is full of reassurance. God is continually reminding people of his promises. They are continually remembering the great things that he has done. I was just reading in Nehemiah. And uh, once again, we get a summary of the history of Israel. Excluding the continual reminders throughout the history books of the Old Testament, uh, where God continually reminds his people of where he's brought them, we get at least 10 different summaries of God's faithfulness to the nation of Israel that I just found on a quick look through the scriptures. Each of these um, basically walk through Egypt, Egypt, all the way through God walking them to the promised land and continuing to be with them. And they're fascinating reads. And I'm sure there are more than the 10 that I found. But the 10 that I found, and if you want this list later, come, come ask me. Nehemiah 9, Psalm 78, Psalm 105, Psalm 106, Psalm 136, Jeremiah 32, Ezekiel 20, Acts chapter 7, Stephen's speech before the Jewish leaders, Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 and then Hebrews chapter 11 are just 10 different times where the entirety of the history of Israel is walked through. And this isn't even counting the hundreds of verses where God briefly reminds his people what he's done for them without walking through a full history. Remember when I brought you out of the nation of Egypt? Remember when I was with you? Remember when I did this? Remember when I did this? Can you please come back and remember this? This is important because I have been with you and I will continue to be with you. What were Jesus' last words? I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So yes, hoping is hard. It's hard to patiently endure. It can be hard to trust But that's where it's great that we have a faithful and trustworthy God who always comes through on his promises and who patiently reassures us. So yes, hoping is hard, but hoping is worth it. Hope is worth it. It's worth the patient endurance and the trust because, here's another uh, blank fill-in for you, you receive the spirit of help. You receive the spirit of help. In Romans 8, uh, verses 26 to 27, it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Any hope that we have is because of the Spirit, not Because of us. The Spirit is here with us as we are patiently enduring. Jesus didn't leave us alone. He promised the Holy Spirit. Listen to John 14. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid to take us from here to glory as we hope for heaven the spirit is here to help us how how is he here to help us he intercedes on our behalf which we saw in our passage and that helps us patiently endure as we're enduring as we're struggling as life is just weighing us down i don't even know what to pray i don't know how to pray The Spirit intercedes on our behalf. The Spirit is here to teach us, and that helps us patiently endure and also helps us trust. The Spirit is here to remind us of truth, and that also helps us trust. Do do you remember how I've already been with you? Do you remember how I've been continually walking you through difficulty, through challenges, I will often ask people who are going through a difficult time, can you tell me about a time when God has been faithful? Just to remind them, hey, guess what? God has been faithful, and he's going to be faithful again. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And the Spirit also gives us peace, which helps us patiently endure and trust, knowing that God is in control. So as we're hoping, it's the Spirit's work in our hearts, His work, not ours. If you're having a hard time hanging on to that hope, it's not going to be more work, more effort, or more strategy on our part that will help us hope. It's praying and asking the Spirit to intercede, asking the Spirit to teach, to remind you of truth, to give you peace. So hoping is worth it because you receive the spirit of help. But hoping is worth it, because you receive promises fulfilled. Let's take a look at verses 28 to 30 in our passage. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This right here is the reassurance that we need. This is reassurance just seeping out of this passage. Verse 28 will help you patiently endure. Because when you couple that uh, with verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. The balance is so heavily toward the good Yes, there's difficulty. Yes, there's challenges to walk through. But there's immense good that is coming that outweighs any of the challenges that we are facing. Totally the opposite of when I broke my arm at the end of this 15-mile bike ride. I was bicycling to a friend's party, and I'm like half a mile away, and I fall and I break my arm. And I think for about a second... Well, at least I don't have to bike home. See, there's some good. <laughs> but I think the bad outweighed the good in that scenario. This is not what we're talking about. The good that we have waiting for us is so beyond what we could have imagined. And again, like I said before, this does not minimize or trivialize our suffering. As some of you have heard me talk about in the past, I had to watch my eldest son almost die twice. That was not good. But I know that God used the first time to teach me to trust him. So that the second time, even though it was difficult, I was able to trust God in a way I couldn't have before. Now this verse does not say that all things are good. It doesn't. This is no prosperity gospel. And it also does not define the good. It doesn't say all things work together for the good that you have in mind. No, it just says that all things work together for good for those who love God. And then we move on to verse 29. And here, Paul clarifies who we are. We are chosen. He makes it crystal clear. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. See, some people try to argue and say, oh, predestination is just God knowing beforehand that we are going to be saved. No. He makes it really clear that we are chosen. And we're going to dive into this more as we get into uh, chapter 9. But this gives me hope. Hope that even in my darkest of days, God has a plan for me. Because he chose me. He wants me. He's saying, Ben, I've got you. I know you're having a hard time right now. But I've got you because I chose you. I selected you. I want you. I've got you. And verse 30 is just an assurance of this process. And it shows that God will finish the work that he has started. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. God's going to finish the work that he has started in his children. It's amazing how God sometimes lines these passages up. Last week, we talked about our identity as God's children, and it just so happened to fall on Mother's Day. Happened. That's, that's God going, we're, we're going to put this here. And today, we're talking about hope, and we're talking about promises fulfilled on a day when we're taking communion together. Isn't that cool how God just puts these together? It's beautiful. As I read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Listen to the hope that we have here. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Of the promise that was fulfilled. God sending his son to die for you, to die for me, to take our place, to substitute himself on our behalf, to pay a debt that we never could have paid. And that promise was fulfilled. But it's also pointing to a promise that will be fulfilled. Because Jesus is coming back. He's coming back to take us home. And so communion gives us reassurance. It reminds us not only of the promise that was fulfilled, but the promise that Jesus made that He said, I- I'm coming back. I'm preparing a place for you. I can't wait for the time when we get to be together. So as it's passed, I invite you to to hold the elements. We're going to take them together after uh, singing a song together. But as you do, examine your heart, but also praise Jesus for the promise He has already fulfilled by taking your place and mine, dying on our behalf and raising again, conquering sin and death, then praise Him for the forthcoming promise of His return.